Welcome to Lessons in Leadership, Steve Adubato, my co-host, executive producer, Mary Gambit. Mary, I'm pumped up, ready to go. Um, Bar- you're Barack you're Obama shot out of a cannon today. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. It's been uh, too much coffee. What did, no, I had a couple of cups. But what did uh, Barack Obama used to say, not pumped up, ready to go, is I got to get the right quote. But he would often get people pumped up at rallies, and it's nothing to do with politics. It's about speaking and motivating people. But I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. And one of the reasons is we're uh, kicking off the show with our good friend, uh, Dr. Dan Varga, Chief Physician Executive at Hackensack Meridian Health, HMH. Good to see you, Dan. Happy to be here, Steve and Mary. Thanks for having me on. You got it. Hey, Dan, am I too pumped up today? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Love it. Love the energy. Look, hey, Dan, let's do this because I want to actually turn this segment and go back on our website that Sylvester will put up, standdeliver.com. I think this is the fifth or sixth time Dan has been with us every time we talk about different aspects of leadership. But this particular subject segment, I want to focus primarily on this. Dan introduced us to a concept called dyad leadership. And on our, on our lower third, on a graphic, I want to put up dyad leadership. What, and we're going to use it in our Physician Leadership Academy that we facilitate for HMH with terrific physician leaders there. What the heck? is dyad leadership, and why did you introduce us to that concept, Dr. Vargan? Steve, dyad leadership is something that's been gaining a lot of traction in healthcare for, for several years now, but the way I really think about it is this. So, there are some um, uh, business milieus where the competencies required for leadership are so complex and at the same time so divergent that you know you need to marry them and you can kind of hope and pray. And we all know that hope is not a strategy. Prayer is good all the time, but (laughs) hope's not a strategy. So when you look at this, you can hope and pray that you can find one individual who can merge these incredibly complex and divergent uh, capabilities. But more often than not, what you find yourself is leaving a big chunk of the complexity unattended in order to get somebody who kind of knows this piece, really knows this piece or vice versa. The concept of a dyad leadership model is to say, let's acknowledge that these things are very complex and very divergent. And let's get a team, at least of two, to come together and lead the organization uh, by marrying these two elements together. An important caveat, at least from my perspective, is this isn't management. I mean, we, we all know about when, we're, when you're leading in a management uh, milieu, you've got lots of silos and you have to figure out how to make a team of teams and all this sort of thing. This doesn't replace any of that. This is saying when you get way up at the top of an organization and you need to lead, but you need somebody to embrace these diverse complexities that exist in the organization, maybe think about having a dyad model of leader, leadership. So I'll give you the example in healthcare. Sure. You've got incredibly complex operating models, right? You're running hospitals, ambulatory services, home health, physician practices, a whole bunch of operating things that you have to deal, supply chains, pharmaceuticals, et cetera. And then you have this thing, which is the widget of healthcare, which is the delivery of care, clinical care delivery. The, we've, we've started to embrace in a lot of different situations, and this can either be structural or functional or both, really bringing two individuals together who have the clinical uh, 
skill set and the operating skill set and say, let's marry these. And now we've got clinical operations. And that way we don't separate those two things. We don't either A, have the clinical uh, piece of that overwhelm the operational and financial and logistical piece of the operation or vice versa. Uh, so, I mean, we've seen this, I think uh, some organizations have gone all the way to the top where in fact, the PNL of the whole health system comes through a dyad model. You see it more frequently in things like clinical service lines. So like the way you run cardiology at your health system is you get a clinical leader who can create that unique, differentiated, uh, exceptional care delivery model and a strategic business leader who can operationalize it, strategize it, and monetize it in the marketplace. You know, Mary, before you jump in here, it's so interesting uh, because Dan is talking about this dyad leadership model, and we are actually incorporating that into the Hackensack Meridian Health Physician Leadership Academy, whereby, without getting too into the details, Hackensack Meridian Health, like any great organization, has strategic initiatives. On these strategic initiatives, important things that need to be done, we're working to marry, if you will, join a clinical leader, a physician leader in the Physician Leadership Academy, with a non-clinical leader within HMH to work together on that. Now, real quick before Mary jumps in, devil's advocate. You can't have two quarterbacks. You can't, you, some, oh, come on, you can't have two quarterbacks. You can't have two head coaches. It's confusing. Nah, go ahead, Dan. No, that's a great point. And I think at the end of the day, everybody, even if you're in a Diane model, there's still specific elements that you have one, one member of the dyad you know, overweighted, if you will, uh, in terms of their accountabilities and vice versa. But at the end of the day, as you strategically plan, as you build annual budgets, as you look at clinical performance accountability, operational account uh, accountability, you hold these two people equally accountable for the hmm. whole kit and caboodle, as opposed to say, you know, Dan Varga is a, a chief physician executive and Dan right. is going to be accountable for the clinical performance of the organization. And he doesn't give a fiddler's damn about the operating performance. Steve Adubato is running the operations of the health system. And to be quite honest, if we're not at the top of the heap on clinical performance or clinical capability, Steve's fine. He hit his budget, hit the operating parameters, et cetera. He's all okay with everything. It's where it's 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 not just an issue of leading from a joint standpoint. It's also creating joint accountability for the two leaders in that setting. You know, Dan said this in a, an offline conference call. I shouldn't share this publicly, but I remember he say he said that Mary and I are a dyad leadership model. Um, Mary, do you see it that way? Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think it's the yin and the yang. It's uh, And I talk about this as well, even in law enforcement, you have somebody that's the head of custody and somebody that's the head of administration of a prison or of a, you know, if it's the chief of police and there has to be different roles, but that is an interesting question that you brought up, Dan. If something, Dr. Varga, if something does go wrong, who owns it then? If you do have two quarterbacks, who owns that mistake and how do you handle that in that situation? So, so it's really joint accountability. You know, one of the things we always talk about, and Bob Garrett's been, you know- uh, Bob Garrett, the CEO of Hackensack Meridian Health. Absolutely. Check out previous episodes of Lessons in Leadership for Bob, go ahead. That's right. So Bob, Bob has emphasized this, I emphasize this all the time. When you think about it, there's two jobs in healthcare. There are people who take care of patients and people who support people who take care of patients. 
take that, take those two very simple job descriptions. What you do is you say, it, when you look at that, they're inextricably interwoven. And so when you say who's accountable, the person who's taking care of the patient and the person yeah, who's supporting right. the person taking care of the patient. That's who it is. And it, the, the, dyad, the dyad model not only marries, com, uh, marries complementary capabilities and competencies, but it also marries accountability. I mean, look, I'm, I'm a doctor. I, you know, I know healthcare finance pretty darn well as an operator, as a clinician, et cetera, but I'm not a CFO by any stretch of the imagination, but I have to make sure that the way we deliver care in this organization helps us meet our strategic goals, our financial goals, our uh, patient satisfaction goals, our team member engagement goals. You can't isolate them. And so the, the one thing I think dyad leadership does more than anything is while everybody's still kind of exercising their unique capabilities, their unique competencies, you've married accountability. Mary, it's so interesting as Dr. Barger is talking about this, <clears throat> one of the things that strikes me, and I don't want to talk about this, we'll talk about this when, when, when we finish up with Dan as well, because he's, this, this dyad leadership model has me thinking an awful lot about this. One of the things it takes, Dan, it seems to me, to be a part of a dyad leadership model, I'm not going to say the lack of ego, because that would mean that I could never do it. That being said, that was a joke, Dan. So uh, I'm smiling. But you do have to submerge some of your quote unquote ego or narcissism, whatever you want to call it, because you, you, you can't do it alone, nor should you be trying to do it alone. If you try to do it alone and get the credit, if things go well, the organization doesn't benefit because you don't have the entire skill set. Go ahead, Dan. No, no, I agree with that. And, you know, look at, look at any great performer, uh, you know, that, that lives in a team environment. I mean, take a pro sports team. I mean, you know, we all know Tom Brady's the greatest of all time, you know, as a quarterback, right? And I know that, you know, here I'm in the Metro New York area and we don't necessarily like to talk about Tom Brady, <laughs> but there you go. Absolutely. Well, let me say, Eli Manning, Eli Manning was a great leader, but, but I don't think anybody, and I'm sure Eli's got more than enough ego uh, to, to do the job he needs to do. Yes, he's a big part of the HMH family and a big part of a capital fundraising campaign. Um, and just, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, but absolutely. But, but you, look at, you look at that scenario and the bottom line is that one guy versus 11 isn't gonna win. And you, know, you think about it, the lineman, the lineman capability, the running back capability, the wide receiver capability, the quarterback capability are all different capabilities that all get merged into this thing. Now, at the end of the day, there's a leader there, right? Somebody's leading on the field. But in, in this scenario, and that, I think that's where I, I, it, it's important to get away from the management element of this, which is you got to manage as a team. And we all know the concept of team, you know, team cohesiveness and team function and uh, team optimization. But that's more at a management level. Here, if, if you can't marry the defensive you know, strategy and the offensive strategy and the special team strategy and the player acquisition and personnel management strategy, then you're, you're going to have a dysfunctional team, right? Same sort of thing here. This doesn't replace individual competency, but what it lets you do is to say, when we're thinking about clinical performance and operating performance, when we plan the budget, we do it together. We hold ourselves jointly accountable for both elements of that performance going forward. Whether you're talking about the whole organization, a clinical service yeah. line, or one isolated, one other isolated function of the organization. 
that's complex important stuff. By the way, let me also do this. I know I had the Giants hat up before. I mentioned Eli Manning um, and Peter Cancro, along with who is the uh, founder of uh, Jersey Mike's, right, Mary? Yes. Um, he is. They are. They're actually at the HMH annual meeting. This was announced by Bob Garrett, who is the biggest Giants fan of all time. In all seriousness, um, they are the co-chairs of a major capital campaign on, on the part of HMH. But I want to say this, Mary, as it relates to HMH's position, Leadership Academy, not only will we use this dyad leadership model and practice it in real life, but I want to say this to folks watching right now. Those of you who think that being a great leader means it's all on me. Yeah, it doesn't, ultimately it is, I get it. But think about what Dr. Vargas is saying. People who think they can do it alone or insist on doing it alone, because if you want it done right, in this complex world we're living in, it doesn't work. I'm sorry, I'm off my soapbox, Dan. No, no, that's, that, that's, that, that's in large part the piece here. And you know, I do think that, uh, particularly, and I can speak personally from healthcare, we have grown a lot here where, think about the clinical care delivery model. It was always the doctor was the captain of the ship. And we have migrated a long, long way in the, the 30 years I've been you know, a physician. We've migrated a long way from that concept of the very vertical sort of care delivery model with the doctor and the nurse and then techs at the bedside, et cetera, to a care delivery model that's based on teams. Uh, with the doctor, a very important element of the team, but adding in all of the other bedside care delivery people as equally important elements of yeah. the decision-making process, the execution process, the follow-through process, et cetera. So I think that there's a growing realization of, that you, you really need teams to, to make things work. The, I think where we're kind of also evolving to is that yes, at some joint juncture, somebody's gonna be ultimately accountable, but it's also important to lead as teams, uh, not just, we all manage as teams, but I think with, in healthcare, we have this unique scenario of, you know, a doctor's been in, in college, medical school, residency, fellowship for 20 years, right? And you've got this uh, healthcare administrator over here who's been through college and MBA school and years of experience. And you realize this person can never have this person's skill set. But if you can't marry the leadership model so that both things get done equally well, then right. you're gonna you're gonna have um, you're gonna have a, a, a disparate you know leaning of the organization one way or the other. That's right, and that's why on our team lessons in leadership, you got strong production people and creative people, and and hopefully a decent anchor with another great anchor who also organizes. And and it sounds so corny to say it takes a team and a village to get it right. It's just so true, and that's what Dr. Borg is talking about. Hey, Dan, thanks so much. Thank you, man. It's always fun talking with you and Mary. Great stuff. Dan Varga, Mary Gamba, Steve Adubato, Lessons in Leadership. We're right back. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, Veolia, resourcing the world, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com.
Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine. Most people don't think about where their water comes from, but we do. Veolia. More than water. Resourcing the world. Back by very popular demand, we have the Michelin Davis. Micheline is president and CEO, National Medical Fellowship. She's also a longtime trustee, a trusted trustee of the Caucus Educational Corporation, our not-for-profit production company. How are you, my friend? I am always good when I am with my dear friends. Hello. How are you? Mary, how good does she look? Forget about it. We'll talk about leadership in a second. How good does she look? Oh, my goodness. Always amazing. And right before we got on this uh, interview today, I told Micheline, I said, I need a moment of just peace and serenity. So thank you for walking me through that, Micheline. I appreciate it. It was fantastic. Absolutely. Namaste. Namaste. How do, how do, you, how do you do that, Micheline? I know we're talking about leadership, but it's connected. How do you stay centered? Yeah, okay. it, is, it, it really is about, um, I had Mary take her, her hand and place it on her heart and breathe deeply. Um, some values that I believe we both share, right? Love, peace, calm. Um, it is about, and I just led this workshop with my team. It is about knowing your core values and making certain that they are your center and bringing yourself back to them, right? Mm. And ground you solidly in a very fast paced moving world. Yeah, I'm going to have you talk about National Medical Fellowships in a second, but I want to stay on this. You see yourself, you've always seen yourself. You and I have talked about leadership, communication, and life for more than a couple of years. Um, you see yourself as the primary coach, mentor, leader of your team, correct? That is correct, Steve. Inbred in you, that that is your responsibility to do that other than just make sure the bottom line is right, make sure pro productivity, blah, 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 all that matters, comes from all the way back? Uh, you, you know where it comes from, right? It doesn't take me long to, to get to the fact that the most incredible people that mm -hmm. I have ever met, the most um, impressive people that I have ever met, despite being um, having the fortunate opportunity to be advisors to presidents and governors and CEOs were my parents. They talked the talk and they walked it. I, I will never forget watching my father um, after he preached a sermon, he was a bishop, um, and then live it out in the world. And so, uh, as you know, my parents taught us that we are here in order to make the world a better place for our brother and sister. And brother and sister is defined by the human being who is immediately to your right, to your left, in front of our back of you. Hmm. Not people wonder why we have Micheline keep coming back, right? <laughs> Micheline, tell everyone why we put up the website, what National Medical Fellowships is and why it matters so much. Thank you so much. Um, National Medical Fellowships is one of the first diversity organizations uh, in the entire continental United States. Founded in 1946, it was literally created during a time of segregation of hospitals in order to ensure that Black physicians had opportunities to advance specialty care education um, to make certain that Black and Brown communities would have the clinical care that they, that they needed so very desperately. Since its inception, however, we have spread our arms and opened them wide to our family of 
Latino and Latina, uh, Latina um, uh, individuals, as well as of course our indigenous and other persons of color who are underrepresented in medicine. Please remind yourselves that it, they are underrepresented in medicine, not because they chose not to go into them, but because of the fact that it was a field that was shut off from opportunity for black and brown individuals, especially for those who are from the communities that have been mostly most impacted by structural and systemic inequity. Well said. Mary, I have so much on my end, but I'm gonna give you a chance to jump in because the uh, we've been getting messages. Hey, Steve. Let me talk. That's what All I'm right, here right. for, right, Micheline? Right. <laughs> They're here. Well, most importantly, you're here. And, and we talk a lot and you hear a lot today, what we need from our leaders. Can you talk a little bit about leadership and social justice and more specifically, what we need from our leaders today in that regard? Mm. I, first of all, I love the question. So thank you so much for it. I am a firm believer in the fact that the information that was put out by the most recent Edelman Trust Barometer is accurate. And that is that corporate entities and more importantly, their employees, right? Are really looking at these organizations in order to ensure that they are not just issuing a statement, right? Or, or making a post, but there is actually an element of their core business case that shall be wrapped around actually achieving social justice, helping to right size the inequities that now after COVID-19 has rocked the world that have been really placed front and center, that now entities, individuals, consumers and employees want to know, so how is the place that I am investing all of my time in order to further their bottom line, contributing to eradicating these social ills that we see across the country and in our own backyards, right? So leaders are called to really take up that helm and understand that I cannot talk about this if in fact there is no element of my strategic plan that fosters the eradication of anything that we have actually even inadvertently proliferated, right? So when we know that there is a wealth gap, a health equity gap, right? When we know that these things exist, then how are we re-examining the way in which we do business in order to ensure that we are not contributing to the furtherance of structural inequity? And what are we doing in order to ensure that if in fact we have inadvertently do so, done so, what do we need to do in order to peel back from that and begin actually advancing equity in these spaces instead? Now, Mary, what does that look like? That looks like, my friend, that you are re-examining the way in which you do business from whom do you buy as your supply chain, right? Are you also ensuring that the parameters around your group purchasing agreement make exception for an opportunity to utilize local-based um, suppliers who happen to be, right, minority and women-owned and from the communities that have had to bear the heaviest burden of the brunt of structural inequity? Who are you hiring? And how are promotional opportunities advanced in your institution? Our managers who feel like, well, I like this guy. He reminds me of myself, given the opportunity <laughs> to just pick that next person. <laughs> or are you utilizing an equity lens in order to ensure that you are asking the question, who has historically been disenfranchised and kept out of such an opportunity? Because organizations in 2022 do not look like they are made up of myopic individuals without intentionality. Yeah. Wow. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, drop the mic on that one. And it's been real. <laughs> Micheline, we could listen to you all day long. And one other question, I just want to do a quick follow-up. We talk a lot here about grit. We talk about uh, perseverance and just fighting through where does your grit come from? And I, I know you talk about your parents, but it, it's just, is that something that's a need? Is that something that came from an experience? Talk a little bit about the importance of grit. So again, another fantastic question. I remember a, a graduate student one day asked me when I was on the panel, where did you find your voice? My answer to her was on my knees in pain, right? Grit comes from the fact that everything that we have gone through in our lives, we have gotten through, we have. But we have to acknowledge that we've lost a little bit. It's taken a little bit from us in order to grow through that experience. So for the individual who started out believing that her marriage was going to last forever, but it did not, right? For the ones who thought I'm gonna have 10 children and found out later on that they could not. For the one who said I'm gonna be a CEO when it's still finding themselves in middle management being passed over for promotion time and time again. You get through these issues, right? You, you get through your child's issue around their mental health. You get through these issues, right? Or just they're coming of age as a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> but the truth of it is the fact that there's something that it takes from you as you go through them, right? We have to find value in the fact that that, that that process is a refining process, right? And we have to value that which is created as a result of going through that fire coming out like pure gold. Mm. That is where your grit is developed. I'm gonna do something here, Mary. Um, we only have a couple minutes left in this segment. I'm gonna hold Micheline over because there's another segment I wanna do with her, believe it or not, on the topic of her communication and presentation style and not only where it comes from, and I have a sense of where it comes from, but why, if you notice, Micheline never use ums, uses ums and ahs and fillers. That's not an accident. She is a very powerful communicator, which is directly connected to, connected to leadership. But I'm going to try this real quick. Micheline, um, we're taping this in the fall of 2022. You've changed as a person. You've changed as a leader. You've changed your job, your role. Uh, your mission hasn't changed. Your view, the most significant change in you as a leader since this pandemic hit in March of 2020 is what? Mm, what a tremendous question. I believe that the, the most significant change in me as a leader is the fact that I am even more audacious, that I refuse to permit others to believe for a moment that you can be an effective leader without being compassionate and an empathetic one. I challenge every single thought about established leadership that literally means that you you must be have a hard nose and treat people in a manner that is not equitable i reject it outright and establish our values at the very onset of every meeting that we have with external parties and internal parties to hold ourselves accountable to treating one another like the most precious creation that there's ever existed because not one day is promised to any one of us you didn't that's not a change in you micheline You've so, always believed that. Steve, right, but did I always actualize it, right? Truth be told, come on, let's, let's be candid, right? And the truth be told, I, I, I was known as an entrepreneur because I was very entrepreneurial in a corporate setting, right? But that means that the corporate culture, right, is all around you, and there are times when you have to adhere to it. Now, at a global foundation, what I'm able to do is to establish a fact as president and CEO, no, we are going to create the culture that we want by the establishment and recognition of our values, right? Values create actions. Actions create behaviors. Behaviors create norms and norms creates culture. 
Why doesn't Michelin just do lessons in leadership yeah. by herself? <laughs> Uh, Mary, um, you know where I'm going with this. Uh, I know we have another segment coming up, but I'm going to push them off for five minutes. We're actually doing this all live. Uh, yeah. live <laughs> Don't push them um, off too much or we'll lose them. They have a tight out. No, so I, know, I got it. Um, Micheline, I cannot thank you enough for joining us from Lessons in Leadership. Um, there'll be another segment with Micheline talking a little bit more about communication and presentation, which is a huge part of leadership. As always, my friend, my sister, my longtime confidant. Thank you, Micheline. Thank you, my friends. Always good to Thank see you. you. Lessons in Leadership. Catch you next time. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, Veolia, Resourcing the World, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine. CIANJ and Commerce Magazine. Construction companies work at the heart of our communities. So do the operating engineers of Local 825, who build our roads and bridges and ensure the safe transmission of energy that keeps us on the move. Local 825 works with contractors as partners in quality, safety, and training. Our achievements stand as monuments to collaboration that will last for generations. This message has been brought to you by the members of Operating Engineers Local 825. Better building begins here.